day and welcome to another great message from Mr. Christian Outreach Church. We pray you'll be inspired and equipped by this teaching. For more information on Noosa Christian Outreach Church, please check out our website at noosacoc.org.au. Enjoy. Thank you. Well, good to see you all this morning. My name's John, and this is what happens when I had a coffee with um, Pastor Josh. It was not expected for me at all. Uh, I went just thinking I was going to have a coffee and just share my heart with him, and, uh, and then he said, can you share in six weeks? And I said, oh, okay, yep, what, ten minutes? Like five minutes maybe? And he said, no, can you share on Sunday morning? And I was like, well, okay. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely don't treat it lightly, and I, um, yeah, thank you for the opportunity to share this morning. Uh, a bit about me, I'm a primary teacher at Coolum Beach Christian College, uh, a prep teacher actually, so I teach the first grade of school with Jess Marston, you might know her, she comes to this church, and uh, we're a team there. And my wife Anna, she has been in the church for a well, she grew up in this church. So if you want to throw up that slide, Ash, that would be awesome. Um, so this is the Kensler family you might remember. There's Anna on the right. And uh, her brothers and Keith Kensler and Cynthia. So uh, from what I know, that this, the first church office with Mark Ramsey was in their house. And uh, a great family. Uh, and I never, unfortunately, I never got to meet Keith. He um, passed away before I met him, but um, he's touched my life nonetheless. And this vision that God has given me, it's interwoven with my testimony this morning that I want to share with you, and it's, um, it's, it's interwoven with my testimony. It has uh, also parts, that in a strange way, connected to this church as well. Uh, and I'm going to unpack just the scriptures that influence my journey um, as I go. Um, I've been watching Josh and just how he always throws an image up of something that he loves um, at the start of church. And so here's me with my, a chilli plant. Um, I love chilies. I probably eat about 10 chilies a week. Um, my daughter eats chilies as well. It is four. And um, there's two things probably that represent me in food, and that's chilli and halloumi. Um, known by Australians as halloumi. But I, if you know halloumi cheese, you fry it up and um, you, you can eat it for breakfast or whatever. Uh, there's two prerequisites for Anna to marry me, and that was I do to chili and I do to halloumi. And um, she said I do to those things. And um, I think that I could have made a lot of money before it came trendy, dressed up as a big halloumi going do- door to door and um, selling it. But my um, mum is a Greek Cypriot, so that's why. I've been eating it since I've been eating solids. So, a bit like Josh, um, half Italian, I'm half Cypriot. My mum's Cypriot Greek and my dad's Anglo-Australian. So, um, it was one big fat Greek wedding for my mum and dad. And I lived on the coast in a surfy town in Port Stephens, just north of Newcastle. But we also um, attended Greek weddings and christenings and those sort of things as well with our Quicksilver shirts and felt a bit... Yeah, it was amazing. It was yeah, it was very interesting. But I'm just going to pray this morning and hope that God touches your heart. So, Father, I just thank you for the opportunity this morning to share um, my testimony, and I just pray that people are touched this morning 
with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So there is a bit of a story about that chili plant. So I was potting some chilies, and, uh, and I was potting about 10 chili plants. I grew them from seed. And then after I was potting all these seeds, I found this little seedling, and I threw it aside. I found it, and I thought, what am I going to do with it? Am I going to throw it in the bin? No, I'll just stuff it in the, the ground. And um, it became my bumper chili plant. Uh, and it's at Cynthia's house, actually, and every year I get chilies off it and stock my fridge with it. So I think there's a parable in that, um, but it leads me to a parable, and that's the mustard seed parable in Luke 13, chapter 13, verse 18 and 19. So Jesus said, what is the kingdom of God like? How can I illustrate it? It is like a tiny mustard seed that a man planted in a garden. It grows and becomes a tree and the birds make nests in its branches. This um, parable is really, I guess, uh, significant to me because it, it sort of represents the story of my salvation in a sense because I, didn't grow up in a non, I grew up in a non-Christian family and uh, we weren't church going, uh, but for some whatever reason, mum took me to an Anglican church once and I went, attended Sunday school just once. And ever, ever from that moment, I don't know if we were colouring in pictures of Jesus, I don't really remember, but I do remember getting touched by Jesus somehow. I don't know what, the, what she said, the lady that was running the kids' church, but I do remember from that moment talking to Jesus. And I just remember talking to him. I can see in some of the stories I wrote as a young child, um, just things about Jesus. And this seed was in my life. And I remember even when I was turned sort of 16, 17, and, you know, we were in biology and evolution came. I was like, what? That is, this is just so ridiculous. And I just couldn't get my head around it because there was this seed of believing in Jesus that came into my heart. I was not born again by any you know, means I used to talk to my mates about God and say, you're an absolute idiot for not believing in God, like while I was drunk and off my face, like, you know, on, at a party or something, I would be talking to them about God and just saying, you, you know, how can you not, look at the stars, like, look at every, like, how can you not believe in God? So this seed was in my life, but I was not born again. And um, if you want to go to that next slide of that mustard tree... It's interesting that Jesus used uh, a mustard seed as the analogy of his kingdom because a mustard plant has really weed characteristics by nature. So they have a spreading multi-stem growth habit with a drooping or weeding branch structure and it, it's more like a weed than a plant. So no, no gardener would plant a garden in their garden a mustard plant because it's going to destroy that garden. It's going to cause havoc in, 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 a, in a garden. And for me, weeds are an amazing plant. I remember pulling out a weed at, in my yard, and I, I definitely don't do the weeding by any means. The, the weeds are taking over, but these were nasty weeds with thorns. And, and I pulled, pulled this weed out and I took it to the bin. And two years later, I'm still dealing with the trail from walking to the bin because they germinate at different times and these seeds 
you know, they, they pop up at different times. So I'm still dealing with them two years later. And I think that's amazing. Every time this, these plants come up, it's sort of like a testimony to me about, you know, God's seeds at the right time will, will do the, the job. So when the environment changes, those seeds that you plant in people's lives will sprout up. And <coughs> it's, it's sort of like the church too, isn't it? The, the, you know, when, there's, when the church is shaken in persecution, those seeds, you know, those, the word of God prospers, doesn't it? People, the, the church prospers in, in persecution. And not that we like it, but it does. And this seed was laid dormant in my life for the, right, for the environment of my life to change. So when I was 20, the environment of my life started to change and a few things happened. And uh, I started to think, you know, if God's real, then the, if the Bible's real, then heaven and hell's real. And what does that mean for me? And I was, it was actually one significant night that uh, I was at a party, actually. And, uh, and I don't normally share this story with many people because I think that sometimes they can take it the wrong way. But I'll share it nonetheless, and I'll try to help you to understand what I feel it means. So I was thinking about God of the Bible being real, and then I started thinking about heaven and hell, and I never thought about God as a judge as a righteous judge. Anyway, it got so intense and it was like his presence was so intense that I ended up in a room upstairs at this party and I was on my knees and his presence was so real. I just said, Father, are you disappointed in me? And I heard his audible voice and he said, yes. And it was the most majestic voice I've ever heard in my life. It was the most terrifying voice I've ever heard in my life. It was the most, I think it was because it went to the core of who we are when you hear the audible voice of God. And straight out of my mouth came the same words. Really? Father, you disappointed in me? Just like it popped back out and I heard his voice one more time, yes. And, you know, we often say, why don't we hear that God's audible voice uh, I, I've said it to God, God, you can speak audibly, why don't you speak to me audibly? And I think the reason is, is because you'll be terrified. Uh, I think that his voice is so powerful that he needs to cover it with his spirit um, so that, you know, every time you hear the, um, in the Bible the disciples hearing the voice of God, it's a, quite a terrifying experience. And uh, it was as though I was dead that day, or that night, and standing before the judgment seat of Christ. But it wasn't about me. And this is where it wasn't about me as a person that God was disappearing in me as a person, but it was about my right standing with him. Essentially, I could have asked the same question in a different way, but it was just my language at the time. And it could have been, do I need to get right with you? And the answer is yes. Your righteousness is no good. You're, you're, you are nowhere, you're not going to hit that mark. So we bring to Romans 3.23. For everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And that was my position at that time when I asked that question. And I heard his voice. And um, I think many people are like me in the world that they assume, if they have a belief in God sometimes, they assume that they're okay. You know, They assume that everything's cool as long as they don't 
kill anyone or, or do anything that's below their standard, then they're okay. And that was what I assumed, so it was such a shock to me. Anyway, it still took me six months to um, come to Jesus. And we look at the Romans three twenty four twenty five. This is what I need to do. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And it was actually, as I said, six months later, I, I ended up moving to Lismore. I lived on the road to Nimbin, literally. Uh, and um, I, um, <laughs> went, I was talking to... I was doing natural medicine, actually, studying natural medicine. And, uh, yeah, I had... I, I wouldn't call them dreadlocks. They were just... Yeah, mats, I guess. Um, probably about nine of them. And uh, I, I was giving this girl a lift home from uni and she said, hi, you know, well, sometimes, you know, in um, uh, natural medicine's quite new agey, so, you know, you, you could talk about spiritual things and not look like a weirdo because we're all weirdos. And um, <coughs> no against it again. I, I do like natural medicine still. But, um, and she said, lots of people have, she told me about this play called Heaven's Gates, Hell's Flame, lot of Flames. Lots of people have given their lives to Christ at it. And those words just, for the next few days, she told me where it was and what time the event was on. Those, those words, those seeds just started to penetrate my mind. And I was like, you know what? That is what I have to do. I don't want to do it. I didn't feel like doing it. It was the last thing I felt like doing. But I thought, I've got to give my life to Christ. And I did that, and I was radically transformed. And I've, I haven't looked back since that time, but, and, and my mates didn't know who I was anymore, actually. But, uh, yeah, God just radically transformed my life. And quite early on, within a week of getting saved, I was um, sitting in the university, and I was reading one of those little Gideon Bibles, those red Gideon Bibles. And... Um, just in the park outside the library. One guy walked past me and cursed me and said, what do you, you know, he just cursed me. And then not long after that, um, these children, I don't know where they came from, they just came into the university and um, started saying to me, hey, you know, I've got a Bible like that. And they were like, and I was like, what? this is just strange. But anyway, I don't know to this day whether they were angels or not, but it was very unusual. And then I went to this Baptist cell group, which is unusual for me again, to do something like that, it was very strange and I was surrounded by um, these old ladies and they started prophesying over me and they said they saw children uh, all around me like a bit of like a Pied Piper and, uh, and I, from, that, from that moment and I, I knew that God had called me to work with children in some capacity and so I, I, I changed my course and um, after that I moved back down to Port Stephens. And 15 years later, the woman that sowed that seed in my life when I was in Sunday school in the Anglican church became my senior pastor uh, in Christian Outreach Centre Port Stephens. So she uh, was the husband, I mean, was the wife of the husband, Alan Ward, who, um, who was a plumber and got his back healed and then uh, uh, was in the Anglican church and they said that 
he needs to settle down a bit. There's a church down the road that's probably a bit more going to accept you. So they went down there. They became part of King's Commandos there, um, that same ministry that Keith Kensler ran. And uh, then they became the senior pastors. So he became my senior pastor as well. So <clears throat> that seed, you know, amazingly, by God's providence, uh, came back to um, the person that sowed that. Uh, just quickly, I just wanted to show you a book, The Fourth Dimension, by Yongi Cho. Yongi Cho is a pastor in uh, South Korea, and I often talk about him in, sometimes in uh, men's group about how, you know, he's one of my heroes. And uh, there's some th- I just want to read you a chapter about faith. It's just, it's, it speaks to my heart, and I think it will to you as well. It's called Incubation, A Law of Faith. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. God demonstrates his great power through you and your personal faith. The Bible says God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So it is taken for granted that you do have faith. Whether you feel it or not, you may try to feel faith, but whether you feel it or not, when you need faith, it is there. It is there for you to use. You have two arms. When you need to use them, you just reach out your arms and move them. You don't need to feel that they are hanging from your shoulders in order to, order to know that you have them. There are, however... Certain ways your faith works links you to your heavenly Father who dwells within you. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, a substance which first has a stage of development of incubation before its usage can be full and effective. And I won't go into the details of it, but the, to cut, the summary is that Faith turns from a hope to a substance. If you want to bring up that next scripture. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And he talks about how there's a logos word, which is a written word, and then there is a rhema word, which is God's spoken word. It's when the word comes alive and that it becomes a substance. So there's lots of things we hope for, but then that faith becomes a real substance and I, I started to uh, pray, asking God to turn my hopes into substance, into real faith. And I did this uh, th- with, I guess, lots of things like financial things or relationships, just physical needs. But one thing I started to do it with is with souls. So 1 Timothy 2.4 says... God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. 2 Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so I started to see God's heart and desire for everybody to be saved. You know, he longs for people to be saved. And then... I started to think about how God says that no one comes to him unless the Spirit draws them. So God desires them to get saved, and yet he's the one that draws them. He's the only one that can make it happen. No one in this room that's got a revelation, if you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you know that he died on the cross and he was risen again, it came from his Spirit. You did not come to that knowledge by yourself. His Spirit breathed upon your life, gave you that revelation. So I thought, okay. And then Mark eleven twenty four says 
Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And so if you put this all together, God doesn't want anyone to perish. He's the only one that saves people. And if we ask anything and believe it, we will receive it. And then our hopes get turned into a substance, a real faith, and we can believe it. And you can apply this for any person in your life. I started applying, I was a preschool teacher for a while in Newcastle in a Christian preschool. And I started praying, Father God, I just pray for these kids. I used to get there in the morning and pray for three months. I was praying, Lord, I just pray that none of these children will be lost, that every one of them will be saved. Father, I pray, Lord God, that I don't care if it's in the next five years, ten years, just before they're about to die, I believe, Father God, that you can save them. And it was a hope of mine, and I was praying this way. But something happened along the way where my hope turned into a substance and I knew it was done. Amen. Those children will be saved. There is nothing scripturally that has ever... It's, it's going to happen. I believe it. There is nothing that's going to stop it. Why? Because God says that none come to him unless his spirit draws them. Whatever we ask in prayer, believing we shall receive. And I believe it. I believe for those children. It's going to happen. And at this time um, that I was praying and working in this preschool, it was also this time in the year 2000 that I met uh, Anna. And Anna came down from Port Stevens. It was at a time when I did not need the ministry night off. Every night off was mine. And uh, um, Anna came down probably more to do was she came down because uh, the, her mum and her needed a fresh start after her, her dad um, passed away. And uh, anyway, I was, I was a youth pastor at the time, so I was hanging around my pastor's house a lot. And, um, and here come, there was this beautiful girl staying with my pastor because they knew them from King's Commandos and, and offered them to come down and be refreshed. And he suggested that I take her and be the tour guide for her of Port Stevens, which I did. And, uh, and then, you know, I started to, you know, really like her. And then she started to call me Grandpa because I'm six, six years older than her. And I was thinking, there's no chance, um, really. But to cut a long story short, she did fall in love with old Grandpa here. So... <laughs> and then... After we got married, Anna and I, we moved to Sydney and we sat under Dave Mack's church there for a while in North Ride, which was a great experience. And, uh, and then Anna had a desire to go on mission trip again because she'd lived in China for six months and she, circumstances changed in Sydney for us and it came to the point where I just knew that we were meant to go overseas. And we moved to Korea. We didn't... We, we were planning going to Japan, but it just circumstances happened. We felt peace about going to Korea. So we ended up in this town called Yosu, or city, I should say, down the bottom of Korea. And um, we lived in this suburb called Puyang Kucha. And um, it smelt like poo, too, because <coughs> the, the, our room, our, yeah, it was our house, was probably about the, as big as your kitchen. And um, 
when we opened the window, there was this little sewer next door, and it, oh, it was not nice. But who knows that sometimes seeds need fertilizer to grow. And uh, I think that, I mean, we loved it. We had a great time there, but we also were calling out on God a lot as well because we didn't know how long we were going for. We weren't sure. But uh, we, we prayed this way for a while, for three months. We asked God, God, bring your call to maturity in our lives. Lord, we're just asking you, Father, to bring your call to maturity in our lives. And we pray that way. And when I was praying in Korea, I was praying, there's lots of mountains in Korea, and I was walking down a mountain one time, I was praying, and I was, Lord, where are you taking us? What, what are we meant to be doing? And here we are in this strange place. And uh, God started to speak to me, and I thought of these words that I'd heard Cynthia say once um, about her um, husband, Keith. So Keith ran a ministry in here called King's Commandos and was very passionate about that. And I know that a lot of people here were on that team as well. And anyway, she used to say to me, oh, he used to say one million children for Christ. But when he pa- just before he passed away, he upped the vision to two million children for Jesus. And... Uh, Two million children for Jesus Christ. And as I was praying this this day, I just started to see, it was just a statement to me before, probably what it is like for you in some ways as you're reading it right now. It's maybe the first time you've seen it. But it was just a statement, a declaration nonetheless, but it wasn't that real to me. But then as I was praying on that mountain, something happened where I started to, I saw this vision of the children. I never met Keith. But I saw this mantle of this vision, seven years ago it was. I saw this vision and it was like it was sitting there in the spirit realm and then I could grab hold of it. And, I, and I, just, I, just started, I just, from that moment, it's never left me. This, it's, it's, it's like I'm pregnant sort of with that vision in my heart and, and in my, I just can't get it out of my life. Uh, and, and it's like, it's, and I apply then, the same scriptures that I use for um, what I was telling you about before, for believing for souls, and I cannot see any reason why it happened, cannot happen. And I, so that is growing in me, but that is, I believe, not just a statement, but I believe it's a legacy for us as a church too. And when I came to this church, it was more as a visit than to join the church, and and I just came. We were going to church down in Maroochydore, and uh, we came and we were sitting down. We just wanted to visit, and we hadn't and hadn't really been back since that time, so we just knew it was a healing thing for her to come. So we came, and I was sitting in the chairs, and I was like, "Are these the same chairs that your dad would have sat in?" I was like, awesome, this is so cool. And uh, I was like, I just, that vision was speaking to me. But Gary Hurrigan was preaching that day. And I knew Gary Hurrigan from uh, just when I was a youth leader. He was doing, we, I sat on a team doing a, a grow, church growth thing that he did. And so that was cool for me as well that he was preaching. But he was preaching on legacy. And 
And I knew that God was just speaking to me so much about the legacy of this two million children for Christ that um, Keith had seen. And uh, I think it's funny that you're getting new seats now. Maybe you were waiting for me to come, to sit on the chairs, and now that that's happened, you can get them. Because it was powerful for me. (laughs) And um, (laughs) anyway, so... I think it's something for me that I believe too because it's, it wasn't my own. I didn't feel like it was my own and I feel like it was something that I could see. And I feel that we, it's an inheritance for us as a church. And where to now, I, for me, I think uh, I'm just looking for people to partner in that faith and, and believe for two million children. And... Just the outworking of this vision is firstly partnering in faith, believing that something could be done. I think of the studio at this time, and I think songs going out with, with media. This, we can reach that many children. We can reach people with you know, multimedia. And, and uh, yeah, I think that there's lots of practical things, and I've got lots of other ideas I Anyway, but it's not the time to share that. I just feel it's something that we need to see as a real thing for this church. And I love Paul's words. I think about what is the reward at the end of our life, you know, when we stand before Christ. Is it a mansion, a crown, something like that? I believe it is. Yes, I do. But I love what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 2.19. After all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus when he returns? It is you. And I just want to pray this morning. I believe that there's probably, you know, I believe you're seed sowers. What I mean is the word of God into people's lives. I believe that, you know, some people may have children that are... uh, are far away from God now, but you've sown the seeds, those seeds will germinate. And, and those seeds will come at the right time. And so those seeds might be dormant in, in the vision that's placed in your life. But I want to pray this morning that God would open up heavens. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.20, Now to him who is able to exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Let's ask big. Open heaven over our church to release vision into your life. You know, I would like you to stand up maybe and just see maybe there's something. Maybe, you know, Jamie, maybe it's the studio and what that's going to achieve. Those seeds going out. Maybe it's your family. You see your family as your ministry and the vision that God has for your family. Start to see that picture Start to see the result of what you want to see and turn that hope by God's grace into substance, into real faith. If it doesn't come today, keep praying until it turns into something that you really believe from not just a hope but a substance. My family don't know Jesus, but I pray that way and I see them in heaven with me. 
and I see myself talking to my dad in heaven. And in the natural, that does not look real right now. But whatever it is that God's placed in you for something, see that picture today. So Father God, while everyone's looking to you, I just pray your grace, because it's not comes by us, but it comes by your spirit, faith, substance, into people's hearts where they start to trust you for what you've promised in your word. Father, you are faithful, Lord God, to do what you say you will do. And we believe you. We trust you as though it's already happened. I thank you, Lord God, for two million souls coming into your kingdom. I thank you, Father God, for the vision of this church and the studio and seeds going out to people's lives, to children's lives. Father, I see people writing stories that would touch children's lives. I see, Father God, people's lives restored and saved in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Josh.